church. Let me first say what a privilege it is to be able to worship with you this morning at the point. Those of you that may not know, which I suspect maybe many of you, my name is Adam Berry. I'm the uh, pastor of Sapa Baptist Church in Webster County. Pastor Wade's a good friend of mine and He's given me a couple of opportunities to come and fill in for him, and we do so again this morning. I thought about and told the second service, I believe it was, that uh, the times that I have had the opportunity to come to this church uh, for any reason, whether it be for a conference or a meeting or uh, as it is today, being able to preach, I know I'm going to get to experience a, a few things. I'm going to get to experience an outpouring of hospitality. I'm going to get to see old friends. I'm going to get to meet some new friends, which, of course, is always a blessing. And if it's a worship service like today, I can always count, it, count on coming alongside gospel people, other brothers and sisters in Christ who have been transformed by the power of the gospel and whose affections for Christ are obvious. And this morning has been no exception to any of those things. It's been a good day. It's been a good Lord's Day. And in addition to all that, on days like today, I get to preach too. So that's just a bonus. I am indeed excited and appreciate the opportunity. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Psalms. Psalm chapter 23 is going to be our text this morning. And I recognize that's a familiar passage. We're going to talk about that a little bit. When you find your way there in your copy of the Bible, I do invite you to stand in honor of reading God's word. Again, that is Psalm 23, 23rd Psalm. <clears throat> it says in verse 1, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we're so thankful for the opportunity to gather as a local body here Long viewpoint, Father, I pray that our worship has indeed been acceptable to you, Father, that it has come not out of lip service, but, but of genuine hearts, Father, that love you and adore you and want to bring you glory and honor. Father, I pray the same for this uh, preaching time as well. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Father, may my words be yours. And may you be glorified and honored through the preaching and teaching of your word. And Father, as we see truth, may we submit to it. And we ask these things in Jesus' good name. Amen. And you can be seated. As I said this morning, I recognize that we are approaching an all too familiar passage of scripture. The 23rd Psalm is one of those passages. It seems that everyone just seems to know it. It's one of those Psalms that we often see adorning our homes and churches in art or pictures or various types of representations. I can remember in particular 
growing up and visiting various relatives and neighbors who had hanging on their wall this picture. A picture of a nice spring day, lush green pastures, a stream of water in the background, and then dotting the landscape would be sheep. And on top of this tranquil little scene would be written out the 23rd Psalm. This is one that you just know for whatever reason. It's even one of those passages of Scripture that seems to move beyond its normal parameters within the church and Christianity and has made its way into mainstream culture. You might not be surprised to be watching a movie and someone dies in the film and there is a funeral scene. And indeed, this psalm is red. It's familiar, I suspect, to most, if not all, in this room. Now, I bring that to your attention because when we are familiar with something, we can often make assumptions about that thing. We can assume that we understand the thing perhaps better than we do. I would suggest to you that Psalm 23 may be that way for you. It has been that way for me. I can remember the very first time I was tasked with preaching this particular passage of Scripture. And I thought to myself, this will be certainly interesting. All of the Scripture is good, but it shouldn't be too taxing. It should be something that I would be able to understand and I kind of saw it, frankly, as low-hanging fruit. See, I thought I knew the 23rd Psalm. I've been familiar with it. I'm a pastor. I've, I've read this psalm at funerals, stood by gravesides, in houses where people had just lost a loved one, and read this psalm. But what I have found is that there is much about this text that I did not know and had not considered before and had not become real to me. I'll confess to you something else. I, I thought I had gleaned much about this psalm just through my exposure to it, just by reading it in churches and seeing it again adorned in homes. But it was just frankly not that significant to me. You know, you've got passages of Scripture that are sort of your go-tos for certain seasons of life. And, and this psalm has never been that for me. I've never really seen it as one of those go-to one of those that fall into the category of one I'm going to turn to in a particular season of life. But that changed for me. Something changed in my life dr drastically on May 2nd. My father passed away. In fact, it's been two months today since he died. It was not an expected thing, not something that I was able to get ready for or my family was able to get ready for. He was having some medical issues, had been to the doctor and was supposed to go back to the doctor the next day and see if they could continue to work to try to figure out what some of those issues were. But he never made it to the next day's appointment. His appointment was quite different. It was an eternal appointment. It's one of those appointments that waits for no man or woman. My father and I were close. It was a complicated relationship, and I, I don't mean there was any drama there, but as you age, you know, those relationships can get complicated at times. But in our strange way, perhaps, maybe strange to you, you'd be hard-pressed to find two closer individuals. I've told many people many times over the last two months, he and I were really two sides of the same coin. Now, I don't bring all that to your attention this morning for you to give me a measure of sympathy 
But I bring that to your attention this morning because I now understand Psalm 23 in perhaps a way I did not understand it before. You know, the Bible teaches us in Ecclesiastes 7 verse 2 in particular. It says, it's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind. And the living will lay it to heart. What the writer of Ecclesiastes teaches us, I believe, is that there is a place for celebration and joy in life. But in death, in death, we learn something. This has been my experience. And what I found in my life and in my study of Psalm 23 is that the shepherd that David writes about is indeed a good shepherd. He's a good shepherd. And this is what I would draw your attention to this morning in our time together. The goodness of the shepherd. Now, I want to be careful with that. We have a tendency sometimes as Christians to insert ourselves into the scriptures where we have no business being inserted. This is one of those passages of scripture that you can place yourself perhaps where you don't belong. You can lose yourself in the comfort of being led into green pastures and being led beside still waters. You might imagine yourself in this tranquil scene. But make no mistake, this psalm, though you're involved, and King David is involved, is about the shepherd. This is about the shepherd. I have na named this particular sermon, Trusting in the Provision of the Shepherd, but if we walk away in only seeing this shepherd for what he can give, we lose the real thrust of Psalm 23. I want you to walk away this morning with your affections renewed, not for what he provides, but indeed for who he is. The psalm is about the goodness and kindness of the shepherd, and it's made manifest in his provision for the sheep. Look at verse 1 through 3. Let's see what this teaches us this morning. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I had the psalm divided into three parts. And I was finding some difficulty titling those three parts in the way that I thought was just right. And then I messed up and read the commentary at the end of the week. And once you've read the commentary, you can't unsee the commentary. In particular, Dale Ralph Davis. I couldn't unsee it, so I'm going to use his titles. Maybe it'll be helpful to you. Frankly, it's better than anything I could come up with on my own. So verses 1 through 3, you see the shepherd and the sheep. Now, I don't want to spend a great deal of time defining our terms here, but maybe a brief explanation would help. It says, the Lord is my Shepherd. Now, let's just consider the word Lord. The word Lord in the Hebrew would be Yahweh. And when we see Yahweh, we need to think personal, caring. We need to think intimacy. Now, when, when we see it in the context of Psalm 23, we recognize that, that David is saying that the Lord is my shepherd. Now, shepherd is pretty easy for us to understand, right? A shepherd is one whose occupation is to care for sheep. So we've got that term pretty much understood. Now, if God is the shepherd, the one that cares for the sheep, guess who the sheep are? 
In Psalm 23, it's David, but it's also us. Now, this is the place where commentators and pastors and preachers are going to start telling you how ignorant sheep are. I'm not going to do that to you. I'm going to come from a, from a different perspective. I think I've told the first and second service both. I recognize that we are in Mississippi and that we are all classified this morning as Southerners by virtue of the fact that we live in Mississippi. Now, you may be a Southerner, but I'm from the country. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and just tell you that. I'm from rural Mississippi. Y'all tracking with me when I say rural Mississippi? My wife was born and raised on a gravel road. We, we, we're from the country. And because we're from the country, we have had experience with both cattle and sheep. So I'm not coming to you from the perspective of a commentator or a Palestinian shepherd. I'm coming to you from the perspective of a country boy that has dealt with both sheep and cattle. And it's not that sheep are, are all that ignorant. It's that sheep respond to their environment because they are prey animals. Meaning they are not predators. Sheep have no fight instinct. They only have a flight instinct. And so they respond to their environment as prey. If you're in the presence of a group of sheep, they're going to be watching you. And they're going to be responding to your movements. What that means is, since sheep are prey animals, they have two means of protection and care. It is the protection of the herd and the protection and the care of the shepherd. Perhaps in Mississippi language, the care and protection of the farmer. So what we're understanding here is that what the shepherd does for the sheep is what the sheep could not do for themselves. The shepherd is absolutely essential. The shepherd is necessary. Now David recognizes this. David had come... From a background of shepherding. He went from the sheepfold to ultimately the throne. He knew what it was like to care for sheep. He knew that sheep required a great deal of care and concern and provision. And as he writes this psalm, he puts himself in the position of one of those sheep. Who finds himself under the care of the shepherd who of course is God. So what we see is that David, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, recognizes the human condition. And perhaps we would do well to rep recognize the human condition as well. We are a people in need of care. We are sheep. We need a shepherd. We need the care and provision of a shepherd. Now notice in the text how the shepherd provides. He does a couple of things in verse 1 through 3. One, it says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Good, green, lush, abundant grass. He leads me beside still waters. The right kind of waters. Not stagnant waters, not roaring waters, but the right waters. And then he also restores my soul, it says in verse 3. Your translation may say, he renews or restores my life. The idea being that we as sheep, we as finite people become troubled, fatigued, we get tired. And what the shepherd does is he restores. He restores the vitality to our life. 
And then it says he leads. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. These paths of righteousness are the right and good paths. He, he leads in the right ways. He leads down the paths that the sheep need to go. And all this can really be summed up in, in really the opening statement. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And, and then it kind of outlines what all the shepherd does. But that's really the summation of it, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He, he leads down right paths. He leads where there's green pastures and still water. He, he restores the vitality of, of life. We might argue that where the shepherd leads in his provision and it's a shame this word's been hijacked by some in other theological circles, but, but that the shepherd leads to a place of abundance. He leads to a place of, of plenty. He leads us to places where there is enough, where the shepherd can provide everything that the shepherd deems good and necessary for the sheep to thrive. Now, it says, I shall not want. That's not a blank check. What I mean by that is there's an important distinction in what the, shep, the sheep may want and what the sheep may even believe that they need and what the shepherd knows is good for them. Sheep will eat anything. Now, you and I, we have to have multivitamins. We have to get our minerals and the things that we need from vitamins and food and various other things. Well, livestock... You put out minerals. And there are some minerals that are good for certain type of livestock. And there are other minerals that are not good for other types of livestock. What I mean by that is you can put out a, a certain mineral that a sheep will eat because they'll eat anything. But it would be poisonous to them. They would indeed die. What our shepherd does and what David seems to be saying here is that the shepherd knows what is good for us. We don't always like that. But the shepherd knows what we need. Now, he's certainly, I believe, aware of our wants, but he always gives us what we need. Matthew Henry, a commentator, I believe, says it well. He says, I shall be supplied with whatever I need. And if I have not everything I desire or want, I can conclude that that thing is either not fit for me or not good for me, or I shall have it in due time. So, so how we approach prayer and how we should approach the goodness of the shepherd, whom the Bible says gives us all we need, and we can say with assurance, I shall not want, is that the things that we think we need, we either going to get them or we don't need them. That's what... Psalm seems to indicate to us. And certainly Matthew Henry, I believe, is right here. Now, don't lose why the shepherd does what he does. He does what he does. He cares for the sheep, not because the sheep are all that special. They don't really have anything to offer but dependence. He does what he does because of his goodness and his mercy. He does what he does for his namesake. See, the shepherd... Has a reputation to maintain. He's not just a shepherd. He's not just any old shepherd. He is a good shepherd. And he has a reputation of being a good shepherd. And he must maintain this reputation. And he does so for his 
glory. Now that's verses 1 through 3. That's the sheep and the shepherd. Now at this point in the psalm, we're going to transition. We're going to leave behind verses 1 through 3. And in doing so, pay attention that we are leaving green pastures and still waters. We are leaving the place of plenty. We're leaving the place of contentment and satisfaction. And if David stopped penning this psalm after verse 3, we might come away with this idea that there is nothing in life but green pastures. But there's a verse 4. Notice this in your Bible. David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Notice in your Bible that the tone and the setting of the psalm has changed. We are now in the valley of the shadow of death. Now notice something else that's changed. The pronouns that David has been using have now changed. He was talking about he makes me lie down in green pastures. Now he's saying you are with me. So the pronouns change from he to you. Why is that important? Because David has now stopped talking about God, and he started talking to God. What's changed? Location. Green pastures are in the rearview mirror. He's now in the darkness of the valley. And this is how life is, right? In fact, I would suggest to you this morning that if you're under the sound of my voice, you're in one of those two places. You're either in the tranquil, green, lush streams of living water, all those things, the good place. Or you're in the valley of the shadow of death. And that's a season of difficulty. You can translate the, the darkness of the valley of the shadow of death as a season of difficulty. You're in one of those locations because life's that way. One of the things that I always tell people at Sapa, where I pastor, is one of the apologetics, in my estimation, of the validity of the Scripture. Why, one of the reasons that we can trust that this is real, besides just the eyewitness and all the normal arguments that you hear for the validity of the Scriptures, is the fact that the Bible never sugarcoats life. It tells you the truth. In, in fact, I was having a conversation just yesterday with a guy, and he was talking about some of the things that he had read in the Bible that were just appalling to him. And I said, yeah, that, that's, a, that's an evidence that the Scriptures are real. It doesn't sugarcoat that life's messed up. That we're a messed up people, and we do messed up things. It doesn't paint a, a picture of perfection. There was only one perfect man, a good shepherd. The, the Scriptures always tell us the truth about life. Life has seasons. This is what the text says today. Life has green pastures. Life has dark valleys. Now, dark valleys, as we're going to come to understand it, are necessary. See, it's, it's often that the dark valleys, these times of difficulty, where our theology becomes personal. That what we know about God, that all of the sermons that we've heard begin to have some bearing on our life. See, in the valley, we come to know God and understand God in ways that we never would have known God or understood God 
had we not been through that dark season. At my church, we're walking through the book of James. And James says it a bit differently. James 1, 2 through 4. James writes, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. He doesn't say if you're going to meet a trial, but when you meet a trial. For you know that something's happening to you. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect. You may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Let, let me paraphrase that. Count it all joy, folks, when you face the valley of the shadow of death because God's working in your life to produce in you strong, robust faith that you could not have any other way. See, David understands this. He uses a little bit different language than James does. Notice what David says in verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he says, I will fear no evil. He says, I walk through this hard season, but I do so fearlessly. Now, it's not that David's just supposed to have a stiff upper lip, that he's supposed to just bear it up and grin and bear it and just go through it, pull himself up by his bootstraps or some other cliche. David recognizes that he will fear no evil. Keep reading in verse 4, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. David says that he can walk through the valley of the shadow of death without fear because the same shepherd that had made him lie down in green pastures and led him beside still waters was the same shepherd that led him into the valley of the shadow of death. God was at work in both places, in the green pastures and in the valley of the shadow of death. Notice in the text there's no indication that the shepherd ever stops leading. We might argue that the valley of the shadow of death is, is one of those righteous paths. In fact, I believe it is. Look at verse 3. He says, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And the very next path that David talks about is the valley of the shadow of death. They're both righteous paths. Tranquil times, peaceful times, times of plenty, times of enough shepherds leading through those but he's also leading through the valley of the shadow of death but in the valley of the shadow of death you're learning something about the shepherd here's what i would suggest to you righteous paths are not always easy paths that mean they're not right but they're still righteous they're still good they still have purpose they're building something in you that you could not experience had you not gone down this path. And David tells us how to get through. There's good news here, isn't there? David tells us how to get through, how to get through fearlessly. And it is to fix our eyes on the shepherd. He says, I, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This rod and this staff seem to represent the care and the protection of the shepherd. It says the shepherd's there. He's still leading and he's got weapons. You know, it occurred to me that, that the sheep would never really know what the protection of the shepherd looked like. You might see that rod and that staff, but until you see them in action, you don't know 
how well the shepherd can wield these weapons. You only know when you see them in action. This is what the valley of the shadow of death, folks, produces. You get to see the shepherd and how he cares and how he protects and how he sustains in ways that you never could have had you not gone down the righteous path that went through the valley of the shadow of death. Now, there's something else here. The psalm's not done. The shepherd is leading, and certainly the righteous path led through the valley of the shadow of death. But he's going somewhere. Look at verse 5. It says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the section we might label as guest and host. Sheep and shepherd, traveler and companion, and then verse 5 and 6, guest and host. Notice in verse 5 and 6 that once again we have a tone change and a location change. David is now at a meal. I think I told both earlier services, when, when I think of a place for me of, of peace and tranquility, when I go back in my mind's eye, and began to be nostalgic about growing up. A happy place for me was my grandmother's table. In Adenton, Mississippi, on County Lake Road, is where my grandmother lived. And we would go to my grandmother's house. I bet this will resonate with some of you. And this is where Christmas was. This is where Thanksgiving was. This is where birthday parties were. This is where Friday night just get-togethers took place. This was at my grandmother's house and around my grandmother's table. And they, she would cook all of the foods, you know, and set all the food out. And we would gather around that table and everybody would, would eat. And then when everyone finished eating, they stayed. Everything happened in the kitchen. Everything happened at the table. You didn't go to the living room. You didn't go outside. All the action took place at my grandmother's table. It's a, a place of peace, at least in my mind's eye. But you know the one thing that would have ruined those Nice, peaceful meals. Having to eat with some people that wanted to kill me. I bet you would share that sentiment as well. I suspect when you leave this place and you go to lunch, and you may be getting ready to go there and wish I'd hurry up so you could get there. But when you get there, if, if you've got to share your meal and your table with someone that wants to take your life, you might not eat quite as much as you will otherwise, right? This is the very thing that, that David is, is talking about. He says, you prepare a place for me. You, you prepare a table for me in the presence of those that want to take my life. But notice this after the valley. Still a, a picture here, I believe, of abundance. There's an anointing of the head with oil. This ancient Near Eastern practice seemed to be reserved for honoring guests. The cup that, that overflows. There's, a, again, this table that's set, and it's set abundantly. In some measure, we're, we're in a very similar situation to the lush pastures and the still waters. Now, I could be wrong here, and I reserve the right to do so, be so. You can correct me, but I, I've often wondered if there wasn't a progression here. That David is able to eat because of his experiences with the shepherd. He's been through the green pastures. 
the good and plentiful times of life where things were going well. He's been led by still waters, places of rest and contentment, and his needs had been met. And then he had been through the valley of the shadow of death, where perhaps it is that the rod and the staff were put into action. And now he makes it to the table. And because he's seen both the good side of life and the hard season of life, and he knows that the shepherd is the same in both scenarios, that he's able to eat comfortably in the presence of his enemies. David's stomach's not churning while he eats in front of those who would do him harm because he knows the shepherd. And I'm not so sure that, that walking through the valley and even walking through the lush pasture has not taught David this. To trust the shepherd. There's no reason for David not to eat and to eat plenty because there's plenty served. And he can do so in the presence of his enemy. Enjoy the spread without any fear because he's in the presence of the good shepherd. This culminates in verse 6. He says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. If you need a definition of goodness and mercy or want to make some distinctions there, I think a good way to look at it is goodness walks you through life, mercy picks you up when you fall. And he says that these things will follow me all the days of my life. And the English Standard Version doesn't quite capture what's being conveyed here in my estimation. Goodness and mercy aren't just following behind David. They're not just tripping up on their own feet and falling down, doing their best to try to keep up, catch up with David and his life. No, they are pursuing David. They are pursuing David with the intent to overtake him. Like a policeman after a lawbreaker. This is how goodness and mercy are after him. David says, this is what it's like to know this good shepherd. Goodness and mercy in pursuit of you all the days of your life. Folks, I'll take some of that any day of the week. Anytime goodness and mercy want to find me, tell them where I am. I want to be taken captive by goodness and mercy. And David says, this is what's life, what life is like under the care and provision of the shepherd. He says, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is a bit contested, whether this means that he's going to live a blessed life for the remainder of his days, or if it means that he's going to live in the presence of the shepherd forever, I believe it is the latter. My assertion is correct, and we're seeing a progression of trusting the shepherd. It only seems logical to me that that final righteous path would be or lead to an eternity with the shepherd forever that has so faithfully and kindly provided for David all of his life. What does Psalm 23 mean for us? You know the psalm. It's familiar to you. It has something to say to us about the character of the shepherd. It has something to say to us about the shepherd's concern for his sheep. And I believe it to be a powerful illustration of his care and concern and provision. 
And I do indeed hope it, it warms your affections and confidence for our good and gracious Heavenly Father. I, I hope th that it helps you to tie a knot in the rope that you're hanging on to as you perhaps this morning are walking through the valley of the shadow of death. But I need you to know this too. This care and this concern that we see in the psalm displayed by the shepherd is reserved only for his sheep. It's his sheep that experience this type of care and concern. I want you to know today that death comes fast. And it may come for you when you aren't ready. And I don't mean to be a, put a bummer on your 4th of July weekend. But it comes and it comes fast and it may come when you're not prepared. May 2nd, my father had a normal day. Got up, went to the doctor's appointment I told you about, did some stuff around the house, drove my little boy home from their house. He had been over there playing and doing some stuff. We lived down the road from him. He had loaded him up, took him home, came home, parked his truck, saw an Amazon package had been delivered, grabbed it off the front porch, carried it inside, bent down to look at the label to see who it was to. Stepped into eternity 10 to 15 minutes later. Death comes fast. We all, in a sense, walk, even this morning, in the valley of the shadow of death. But here's the good news. As we continue through our Old Testament into the new, we see, again, the good shepherd. And we see that what the good shepherd does ultimately is that he not only cares and provides for the sheep, but ultimately he will lay down his life for his sheep. Here's the gospel and I'm out of your hair. It is that Jesus Christ came and died for sinners. Died the death we deserved for the wrath of God in our place. Our response indeed should be, Repentance and faith. And, and, and if you don't know this good shepherd, I, I want to encourage you. We're going to have a time of invitation. And, and you can come and we'll, we can tell you more about the gospel. We can tell you more about this good shepherd. I'll talk to you. There'll be other pastors that can talk to you. We'll pray for you. And I want to invite you to do that. But I also want to preach to those of you that are in the valley of the shadow of death who already know this shepherd. And perhaps it is that you've forgotten his presence. Perhaps it is that you've forgotten how he wields the rod and the staff on your behalf. And that he cares for you. And that your dark day and your lonely nights and all of the stuff that you may be dealing with does not have to be done alone. But there is a good shepherd. And that he cares for his own. And you can trust him. We need that gospel message today. To be thoroughly gospeled. I too know what it's like to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Last two months. What has sustained me is this good news. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I pray. I pray first for the lost. God, pray. That through one 
feeble man's feeble words would penetrate hearts. Father, Father that your, your gospel would go out, your good news would go out and would bear fruit despite the messenger. Father, I pray that you would save in a way that would be pleasing to you, that would only be able, that would only be attributable to you. Father, I pray that you would work in the hearts and lives of people. Father, but I also want to pray for those saints out there that, that, are, that are struggling with life, that are dealing with the valley of the shadow of death. And Father, feel the weight and the pressure of putting one foot in front of the other. Father, I pray that you would strengthen. Father, that you would remind them of your presence even now. And that you are indeed a good shepherd. And Father, that this good news, this good news of the gospel, Father, would encourage, would motivate, would be a balm for the soul of those who may be hurting are broken, maybe in that valley and are far from you. Father, I pray that they would look up and find the rod and staff would comfort again. And Father, they would fix their eyes on the good shepherd. We ask these things in Jesus' good name. Amen.